right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. We don't got time for that. Right? Let's go. Break it. Break it, Glenn Cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. What's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I am Derek Johnson. I am solo once again today here on RCST, your final show of the week. So you're going to have to eat it up and, you know, take it into the long weekend ahead with Thanksgiving and coming up tomorrow. Lots of KU action throughout the week and we have KU basketball tomorrow at 1:30. I think coverage starts at 11:30. Technically it could start at 1, but with the game before it's probably going to be pushed to like 1:30 tomorrow. We'll have that for you here on KLWN, klwn.com and our sister station 1059 Kiss. We'll have the Friday game for you. Saturday KU football, KU women's basketball, Sunday more KU basketball. So you have all sorts of Jayhawk action coming at you this week here on the radio stations. I, I want to start KU taking on West Virginia, final regular season game, final game of the season for KU this year on the football field. Um, and as we look at it, this is a more winnable game compared to the first portion of the season for a couple of reasons. One, you're playing better right now. And two, it just kind of was. This was one we kind of circled from the start of the season, to be honest. It was at the beginning of the year, Texas Tech and West Virginia. And it felt like Texas Tech was maybe the more winnable game, but it felt like West Virginia, end of the year, maybe things are coming together, which it seems like they kind of are right now for KU. And it's also senior day, and maybe you can kind of surprise them at the end of the year. Now, it's going to be a little harder to surprise them now. You just had a good performance against TCU after beating Texas. It's a 6 o'clock game, so you don't get the maybe benefit of playing an 11 a.m. game after Thanksgiving and maybe being able to kind of shell shock them, so to speak. And West Virginia also has the added benefit of they're going to be fighting tooth and nail to become bowl eligible. They're five and six on the year, so they have to win this game to become bowl eligible. And that does go directly in conflict with the motivation that is driving KU, which is fighting tooth and nail on senior day and trying to finish out strong with the momentum of the first year of a new coaching staff with this program. But it's a very interesting game because of what this could mean for KU as a program. With a win, it would be absolutely, I I mean, such a boost for this program and this team headed into the offseason. Even if they're competitive, I think it keeps the momentum building forward. You lose big, who knows what happens with all of that momentum. And it is a winnable game. You're getting 15 and a half points with the spread. It's one of the lower spreads you faced in the Big 12 this season. It's a situation where you think that not only can you be competitive, but you can win this game. And the first talking point here revolves around how much the KU defense has struggled this season. You know, they're giving up 43 points per game. That is 129th of 130 teams in the country. If you take out the South Dakota game and just count against FBS opponents, 
KU is giving up 46 points per game. So the West Virginia offense has a good opportunity there, and that would scare you any game, as it does always for KU, that very easily the other team could put up those 46 points per game. And are you going to have the ma- the offense to match that and make it a competitive game? Well, the good news here that allows that to be even more of a possibility is the fact that West Virginia has had their own offensive issues all season long. I guess you could also say you've seen some progress from the KU defense the last couple weeks. I mean, you still give up 49 in regulation to Texas, 56 for the game. But at least you forced four turnovers. You scored six points on your own. In the TCU game, you had a really bad second half, but you had a really good first half. And the end result of having even just one good half meant your best defensive performance in Big 12 play and maybe of the season, because if we just count FBS opponents, the 31 points the KU gave up to TCU are the least amount of points that they have allowed in an FBS game this season. So that's a positive sign. And what makes this more winnable is the idea that that defense that has struggled so much for KU this year is not going up against an offense that you feel like is going to maybe put up 55 points in this game. West Virginia ranks 77th in the country in ESPN SP Plus for offensive efficiency. West Virginia is ninth among Big 12 teams in terms of uh, yards per game. They're also 82nd in the country in points per game with 26. So this isn't an offense that's lighting the world on fire. And so while KU is giving up over 40 points per game, West Virginia has not reached the 40-point plateau against any FBS team this season. They put up in the 60s against their one FCS opponent this year. Every other game, which all have come against FBS opponents, they have failed to reach the 40-point mark. Season high is 38, which looks even better considering it was against Iowa State, who has a really good defense. And then they had 31 against Texas last week. But it's not even the 40-point plateau here. West Virginia has only reached the 30-point plateau twice all season long, the Iowa State game and the Texas game if we just count FBS opponents. So while KU has really struggled defensively, West Virginia has not been putting up big point totals. And for a KU offense that's slowly figuring it out, if your defense can hold West Virginia to what you did with TCU 31, which would be West Virginia's second highest scoring output of the season, makes you feel like you have a chance to win the game or at the very least hang around. KU's biggest defensive bugaboo, it feels like this season, has been tackling, been struggling against the run, which those two things are kind of mixed together for why. Point blank, you give up 300 rushing yards to TCU. You couldn't stop the run against them, and that was the difference in that second half. That was the difference in them winning the game. You just couldn't stop the run consistently. Well, TCU has had a good running offense all season long. Hasn't been the case for West Virginia. West Virginia is last in the Big 12 in rushing yards per game. They're averaging just 115 rushing yards per game. They have a good running back in Letty Brown, but for whatever reason, you know, offensive line struggling, 
not doing enough in the passing game to get guys out of the box, whatever it is, West Virginia has not been a good running team this season, which bodes well, again, for a struggling KU defense in an areas that they struggle against. So is West Virginia going to probably have a better day than they're accustomed to on the ground because they're playing? What's been a defense that has had issues? Yes, probably. And if KU goes out and you give up 300 rushing yards like you did against TCU, it's another question. With a bad rushing offense, with an offense that hasn't exploded for a lot of points in their FBS games this season, it makes you think that the KU defense isn't going to you know, shut down West Virginia. They'll probably still score in the high 20s or the low 30s or maybe even the high 30s. But that's the point. This isn't one of those games where you sit there and say, well, the KU defense has been so bad, this offense is so good, they might give up 50 or 60 points, and I don't know if we're going to be able to keep up with that. If KU holds West Virginia to 28 points, if KU holds West Virginia to 31 points, there's only so much you can lose by, especially the way the offense and Jalen Daniels is playing right now. Jalen's got an 88.5 total QBR over the last two weeks. He's been fantastic. Hasn't turned the ball over much. He had the one interception, but again, Lance Leipold talked about that. The fact that it was kind of a formation issue and it brought another guy in the box that wouldn't have been where that route was to intercept it. He's been so good, you know, coming back as well, not just a a front-running thing. Like, the Texas game was mostly his front-runner, but then you had to see him come back at the end of the game. You had to see them come back from down 28-14 in the fourth quarter, and he did that, and he did it with confidence. The one thing that's different here than the last two weeks, at least for the KU offense, it's just a much different challenge with the West Virginia defense. Texas and TCU can be porous on defense. That's been the case all season long for both the Longhorns and the Horn Frogs. Um, and while West Virginia's offense struggles, like they're kind of the inverse of those Texas and TCU teams. Texas is four and seven, TCU is five and six, West Virginia is five and six. They've all gotten to around the same record, around the same output overall, but in different ways. Texas and TCU can do it offensively and have been inconsistent and have struggled defensively. West Virginia has been inconsistent, struggled at times offensively, but they've been pretty good defensively. Not elite, but pretty good. They're fifth in the Big 12 in yards allowed per game, right? So they're middle of the pack. Now, the downside to that is when you look at the four teams that are ranked ahead of West Virginia, this season in yards allowed per game in the Big 12. It's Oklahoma State, Iowa State, Kansas State, and Baylor. And those are four very good defensive teams. But if you notice the trend there, Oklahoma State held Kansas to three. Iowa State held Kansas to seven. Kansas State held Kansas to 10. And Baylor held Kansas to seven. All of those teams shut down the Kansas offense. That's four combined games 24 combined points, an average of six points per game against the top four defenses in the Big 12 by yards allowed per game, and this is the fifth best. So how much can you really expect against that? Kansas State was your highest scoring output against one of the top half defenses in the league, and you put up 10. So everything I said about West Virginia not being able to run away from you, you would think, in terms of putting up a lot of points, well, how many are you going to be able to score? Now, all those games come before Jalen Daniels, but I'm not sure like how much Jalen Daniels would have impacted, say, the Oklahoma State game. But I would kind of throw that one away because 
that Oklahoma State defense is one of the best in the entire country. Jalen Daniels did play against Kansas State. It wasn't the starter, didn't have the full week of practice. You only put up 10 points. That's what scares me going into this game. There's a real chance that KU puts up kind of a dud offensively because we've seen them be inconsistent. We've seen them struggle at times this year, especially with better defenses. There's a chance they only put up 7, 10, 14 points. And if that's the case, as much as the KU defense has an okay matchup with West Virginia's offense, they still probably will score in the high 20s, low 30s. If you're only put up 7, you're in a non-competitive game if you lose 31-7, to right? So that's worrisome, and, and certainly the status of Devin Neal makes it more difficult. He's questionable for the game. It sounds like it's going to be a game-time decision. You're going to have to maximize your possessions in a game like this. Touchdowns, not field goals. No turnovers. Because I, I'm not sure how much KU is going to consistently be able to move the ball on this unit. But you know what the flip side to that is? If KU does go out there and Jalen Daniels has another good performance and the offense has another strong outing, that's going to make you feel really good about Jalen Daniels and where the offense is going headed into the offseason. To do it against a top-half defense in the league after doing it back-to-back weeks, it'd be three weeks of succession, it'd make you feel like there has been a breakthrough here. The series of late between these two, I think also maybe inspires you a little bit more about where this could be. I mean, the last two meetings in Morgantown haven't been you know, down to the wire. But they haven't been complete dominant showings by West Virginia that have just outclassed Kansas either. Uh, West Virginia won last season 38-17. to KU led after the first quarter in that game, and it was 17-10 at halftime. It was even 24-10 at the end of the third. You're in that game. Um, the time before in Morgantown is a two-score game, 38-22, right? A game that you weren't really in late in the game, but, you know, you weren't completely just dominated it's the time that was in Lawrence which this game obviously is that was really competitive between these two uh West Virginia won that year 29 to 24 but if you remember this was 2019 first year less miles KU was probably the better team that day in Lawrence KU averaged over seven yards per play that day West Virginia was in the fives I mean you were averaging basically two yards more per play than West Virginia that game You just had a couple turnovers, and that ended up being the difference. But you were probably the better team minus those turnovers. And even then, you almost had a chance to win at the end. You only lost by five. There was a crazy play, if you remember this, at the end of the game where he ran like a hook and ladder. And I think they got down to like the West Virginia four, five, six-yard line on the final play of the game. They were actually kind of close to getting it in on what would have been a crazy, miraculous play to win the game for Kansas at the end there. I don't know how much series history matters, but it has in kind of indicating who KU has and hasn't been competitive with this season. I mean, over the last three or four tries with Texas, they had been really competitive. They got the Texas win. Last two meetings with TCU before this year went back to blowouts, but the previous, I don't know, five or six were all close games. Had a close game this year. And then you look at some other ones where it was like, historically, over the last decade, you have fared very poorly against Baylor and Oklahoma State and Kansas State. And sure enough, that's how it went this year. So I don't know how much of that history matters, but 
It has been a good indicator, and maybe that'll be a good indicator of this one, which, again, is more reason to believe this can be a competitive game. Point blank, you sum all that up, this is a winnable game for KU. It's not a game they should win. It's not a game they're favored in, obviously. 15.5-point underdogs. I think the over-under is 55.5. I was kind of envisioning like a 31-17 to game. But that's what it comes down to for me. I don't envision West Virginia's offense, even though they'll probably have a good day because everybody does against the Kansas defense. I don't think it's going to be a great day. And so it just comes down to me how much of what we've seen from the offense over these past two weeks can translate into playing a solid defense. This isn't an elite defense. It's a solid defense. And if it translates well and they can do similar things and and move the ball similarly and Jalen Daniels has another good outing to how they did the last two weeks. I think you absolutely can win this game. But if not, you get held down to 10, 14 points, it's going to be West Virginia. And then at that point, it just comes down to how well the KU defense is playing, whether you can hang in it, feel like you at least had a shot and were competitive versus being blown out. And we'll talk more about this game later on the show. Um, what a win could mean for the KU program, what being competitive would mean, what getting blown out would mean, because I think all of those are very interesting conversations. We're going to be joined by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports, talking some KU football, KU basketball, and some Big 12 football as well in about 20 minutes. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320-KLWN, Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. About 20 till 4, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk, FM 1017. 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com. Joined now by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. Kevin joining us on a Wednesday. Normally comes on on a Tuesday. Um, So you celebrated Thanksgiving yesterday. Is that just so you can have more days of Thanksgiving leftovers? You know, that's that's probably part of it. Uh, (laughs) I I think think it's usually one of those things, though, that uh, it – usually works out that way because you wind up needing to to be a little bit more free later in the week for uh for all the feast week basketball uh, that we get and you know obviously football games thursday friday saturday as well and so it's uh it, it definitely uh it's a little bit friendlier on the schedule but i will say that uh, having more days to uh to eat the turkey stuffing and pie and everything, there's there's nothing wrong with that side of it either. No, there definitely is not. Um, so the big, I guess, entree, the big turkey of this weekend from the Big Twelve, Oklahoma comes in at number ten in the college football playoff rankings. Oklahoma State at number seven. They face off this week. If the Cowboys win this week against the Sooners and then beat at that point Baylor in the Big Twelve title game, do you think that's enough? for Oklahoma State to make the playoff? Um, I don't know if it is or not. I, I think that it's something that all of a sudden, you know, you're you're looking at Oklahoma State being in that discussion, and I'm not trying to dodge the question. It, it's just one of those things where I think 
you know, barring an upset, it, it seems an awful lot like Cincinnati's kind of sneaking into that number four spot, right? Like, it, it seems like Cincinnati might have the uh, the resume there where where it's impossible to to really bump them out. And then when you look at, at the other teams ahead of them, you know, there's a very real scenario there where Oklahoma State, you know, comes out of the Big 12 uh, championship game only having that one loss, and yet you find yourself sitting there and saying, well, well okay, who do they replace? And so I think that there's a, a pretty good chance there that Oklahoma State could wind up winning out and uh, and based on a, a really close loss, you know, could be uh, could be one of the teams sort of left out in the cold. Okay, so what about Oklahoma then? Do you think they would have? Obviously, it wouldn't be as good of a chance as Oklahoma State because I think Oklahoma State has a slightly better better resume right now. So if if you're, I guess, fifty fifty on Oklahoma State, maybe are are you kind of thinking Oklahoma doesn't have a shot at making the playoff? That that's kind of where I'm at. Unless they get I help, think, obviously. You, you know, I, I think it's it would be one thing if the Baylor game were closer. I think people could look at that and see a tight result and say, okay, you know, the ball didn't bounce your way on that specific day, but maybe um, maybe you deserve a, a a shot at it. But with it coming as late in the year as it did. And then you look at, at the fact that, you know, a lot of people watch that game, Derek. And even beyond that, you know, if the committee is is doing what they've always talked about doing it and watching all of those games all the way through, I don't think you can come out of that Baylor game with any impression other than the fact that Baylor entirely, they dominated Oklahoma in that game. And so when you look at it that way, uh, I think again, based on where it was, you know, maybe earlier in the year, you know, you look at o- Oregon was very impressive against Ohio State, but that was in September, right? Like if you if Ohio State played Oregon today, I think we could maybe see a different result. And yet, if Oklahoma were to somehow wind up, you know. Even if they played Baylor a, another time, I think it was still such a it was still such a resounding result and still so recent that I think you can look at it and just sort of say, okay, a, a team that's legitimately one of the top four teams in the country, yes, they can have a loss and still be in that range, but they can't get beaten that badly in November and still have us consider them as one of the top few teams in the country. We're talking with Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports here. Uh, Elsewhere in the Big 12, Kansas takes on West Virginia this weekend, senior day. Uh, How much of a shot are you giving the Jayhawks against the Mountaineers? You know, I I think Kansas does have a shot in this one. I I think it'll be interesting to see what the Jayhawks' defensive strategy is. I think there are some things that Kansas could maybe do to – to make West Virginia's quarterback, Jarrett Daigie, a little uncomfortable. I, I think if Kansas does a nice job of, of kind of crowding the middle of the field, taking away some of those, you know, easier throws that, that maybe Texas gave up to him, you know, all, all of a sudden you're, you're looking at a spot where, you know, for West Virginia to win, you're, you're maybe depending on Jarrett Daigie making throws outside of the hashes. And I, I think that 
that's a situation where, where KU could maybe come off fairly well. I think the other thing that'll be, you know, telling obviously is Devin Neely is so good. And I, I think a lot of the things that he brings, you know, remind me of it. And he's more gifted than this player. But in terms of a lot of the things going unnoticed, it, he reminds me a lot of James Sims in terms of his running style and that. James Sims could be caught dead in the backfield for a two-yard loss, and it wasn't anything flashy, but he would just kind of turn his hip this way and slide a little bit that way and keep his balance a little bit, and it's a four- or five-yard run, and all of a sudden, you know, you're at second and five instead of second and 12, and I think that Kansas really misses that from Devin Neal when, when he's out. I thought that that was potentially even a game-changing injury against TCU. And so if Neal is is able to go, if he's able to go at, at you know a high level, I, I think that that really changes what Kansas is able to do in, in terms of him being able to give them that consistent rushing threat and, and consistent ability to gain yards maybe even – when you don't block things perfectly. And so I think that's going to be a big question in there as well. I feel like I've been waiting all year for like a Maury Pesic Hickson to have a breakout, so maybe this is weak. But what about this? Jared Casey played running back in high school. Do you play him (laughs) at running back this week? Uh, I think you play Jared Casey wherever you can play him (laughs) at this point. You know, he doesn't – man, it's – it's one of the best stories in college football, and obviously I don't think that that surprises any any Kansas football fans who have been on top of it and, and been watching it. But how do you have a guy that, you know, hadn't even had an offensive snap, you know, in, in over the course of the season be the guy that catches the game-winning pass against Texas? And, and you know, that moment, was so special and you have the name image and likeness stuff with Applebee's and, you know, you wind up getting features on on all the national, you know, kickoff shows and everything on Saturday. And then he comes out and plays a better, probably all around game has a one handy catch and then catches the game tying touchdown pass against TCU to the point where it's not just, you know, a one-time thing or, you know, a, a feel-good deal like, you know, when, when David Padgett hit the uh, hit the shot to shut down the Hearn Center against Missouri where you could look at it and say, oh, that was our one sort of shining memory of that guy. Now Jared Casey can play himself some football, can he? And so, you know, if Devin Neal can't go, uh, maybe even if Devin Neal can go, I think it would be kind of fun to – to get him a, a few carries. I do think Pisa Hickson, I, I think he's got, he's got some interesting tools. And, and I think there are some things you can do from a game plan standpoint to really take advantage of his talents too. And that he's a guy, not a lot of people realize he was maybe a better receiver than running back and pass catcher coming out of high school. And when you look at, you know, Michigan was a school that he was committed to for the longest time. The Wolverines really needed to, to add, I think, another defensive lineman, and this is off the top of my head, at the very end of the class. And so he kind of gets gets maybe squeezed out a little bit. But you're talking about a really talented, versatile player there. And so if it does come down to him having to take over the running back job, I think he can 
I think he runs the ball pretty well, Derek, but I think there are also some fun things you could maybe do with him in the passing game to change things up and maybe take advantage of his skill set a little bit. We're talking with Kevin Flaherty here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Uh, Flipping over to the basketball side of things, KU in the ESPN Events Invitational, they get North Texas for the game on Thursday. Is there anything that that jumps out on the page that intrigues you the most about this first-round matchup? Not really about the first-round matchup. I think, you know, it's obviously you need to – to take these things a, a game at a time, and, and I feel like you know you're you're maybe putting yourself in, in danger if you don't, if you're a coach or a, a player. But for the rest of us, you know, you're kind of looking forward more to that second and pot, that second round matchup, and potentially even you know the the championship matchup. North Texas didn't really, you know, doesn't really jump out a, a ton to me. Dayton is a team that I thought before the season had a chance to be really good, and they haven't hit that stride yet. But that that kind of potential is there if they catch, if you catch them on the wrong night, if they play to their ability level. Miami's you know got some talent and some guys there, and then the one that we all have circled obviously is a potential matchup with with Kansas and, and Alabama, and obviously. You need to need to be careful about you know looking ahead and, and all of those things. I think you know Houston is one of the nation's best teams and just laid an absolute egg of a first half against Wisconsin yesterday. Came back and made it interesting, but but couldn't quite get over the hump. And so you worry about you know maybe not against North Texas, but maybe in that second game. You know, if you are looking forward a little bit, there are some teams that can that can hop up and bite you there potentially if you uh, if you don't take care of business. And the other thing too is how healthy will KU be when you look at you know the guard spots and some of the guys dealing with some nagging injuries, and so that'll be something to watch as well. If I told you that KU and Alabama didn't end up facing off, what would be your guess of of what happened? Who lost? Who pulled an upset? Oh gosh, I think uh, I think there's a chance, not a great chance. I think Kansas makes it through. I think there's a chance that if you catch Belmont wrong, that that we could be sitting here saying, "Man, you know, Belmont over Alabama, you know, that's that's maybe a bigger upset than than what we would have expected at, at that point, and maybe we didn't think that it was it was possible." But if Alabama is looking forward or you know, with Alabama playing the style of play that it does, you know, in terms of launching so many three-pointers, there's some variance in there. I, You know, obviously we saw Alabama a year ago win the SEC, won the SEC tournament, and yet Alabama was largely controlled by Oklahoma and Norman when Oklahoma was playing without Austin Reeves, you know, its star player. And so... There are some nights when the shots just aren't going to fall. And so if we're sitting here talking about, man, you know, it missed opportunity, it would have been nice to see that matchup. I think maybe what the main scenario that I would have guessed is that Belmont got Alabama on a night where, where Alabama just didn't make shots. Jalen Wilson is making his return this week, and, and who knows if he'll start, who he starts for, if that's the case. You mentioned some of the injuries. Maybe it just makes sense if Remy Martin can't play or isn't 100% with his back injury if Jalen starts for him, but I don't know. Um, Whatever Jalen does get back 
into kind of the full swing of things and, and does, I think, eventually become a starter or is playing those type of minutes, whether it is night one or in a week or two from now. How good do you think he can be in the pantheon of how we view uh, the different KU players? If, if we were having, I think, a, you know, we're out on the blacktop and, and we're picking teams, I think both of us are picking Ochai Baji first. Is there a case to be made for Jalen Wilson to go number two? For sure is. And, you know, it, it's funny. I think you and I had this conversation before the season even started or before we knew that Wilson would be missing any games at all. Jalen Wilson is maybe the biggest X factor on this Kansas team. And what I mean by that is, you know, he kind of slumped to end last year, but you see that a lot with people in their first seasons in college basketball, right? Like you see a lot of freshmen play well in their, in their first run of games. And then, you know, they kind of wear down over the course of the year. And remember that while Jalen Wilson is a, was a red shirt freshman last year, he didn't really play his redshirt year. You know, he was hurt for so much of it. And so when you look at that, last year was almost like his year to get acclimated. And yet you're talking about a guy that I think heading into January 5th is maybe the stat, was still averaging 15 points a game. People were talking about him early in the year as, you know, a possible All-America candidate after the games he had against Kentucky, which obviously Kentucky wound up struggling, but, you know, he played well against Gonzaga. He played well against Creighton, which went to the Sweet 16. And so you have to really think about who is the Jalen Wilson that that Kansas is going to get. And I think that there's a very real chance, Derek, that the Jalen Wilson that Kansas gets is a lot closer to the guy we saw at the start of last year than the one that we saw at the end of last year. And that version of Wilson is an All-American candidate. That version of Wilson is somebody who changes things on the glass with his effort, a guy that at the time was shooting the, shooting the three pretty well, you know, has a skill level. For you know, for that position, and so you add him into that four spot. I really think that there's a lot that uh, that he's capable of that maybe he showed in flashes last year that he's that he could potentially show on a more regular basis this year. If you had to pick somebody right now, and I I don't love you know talking too far ahead in the future when you know KU does well now, we might as well just talk about the stuff going on now, but. Just, I think, a fun conversation to, to leave this on. If you had to pick who KU's best player is next season, who would it be? Oh, gosh. that That's tough because... <laughs> I, you don't I even know who's going to be back, right? Uh, yeah, that's the toughest part because, theoretically, there. I mean, David McCormick could come yeah. back. And it feels like he's been at Kansas for, you know, decades now at this point. But, but he could still come back. Jalen Wilson could still come back, you know. Ochai technically could yeah. still come back. I mean, and, and I, I don't think that, that Ochai will. I, you know, Remy Martin would obviously be gone at that point. You know, Dewan Harris is going to be a key guy. And you're, don't forget, too, that you're bringing in some really, really good freshmen. And, you know, you have Christian Brown. You have the development that a guy like Zach Clements is going to make. I, I really think that's such a, a tough thing to – to try and predict, honestly, I... I'm hoping you say Bobby I Pettiford. The, I, think, I, I think the toughest part for me uh, is, is Jalen Wilson, because I think the answer would be Jalen Wilson. 
except that Wilson tested the waters last year. And if Wilson has that kind of season, if he averages 15 a game, if he's, you know, Kansas' second-best player, I think it's kind of tough to see a scenario where where he comes back to school. And and so it, it's it's tough. I would say Wilson among the returning guys that would probably have that best chance if he does decide to come back for another year. I was I was hoping you'd give us a Bobby Pettiford in there. Oh, I, 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 I love Bobby Pettiford. I, I think that uh, he's really got a, a chance to be – you know, terrific. Uh, I, the two big guys that they've got coming in in this class are, are both excellent, you know, and, and so there are a lot of options there. And, and let's be honest, you know, if if Dewan Harris becomes the level of point guard that he could potentially become, you know, and, and you know, even without the outside shooting, just as somebody who controls every aspect of the game or or, or whatever else. I mean, there's. I, I think there's a scenario in there where Dewan Harris is one of the better two-way point guards in the country next year. He is Kevin Flaherty. You can check out all his work at 24-7 Sports. Kevin, thank you so much for the time. As always, enjoy uh, the rest of the week with Feast Week, great football, great food, great leftovers. Thanks a lot, Derek. Same to you. All right, that's Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports joining us here on Rock Jock Sports Talk. FM 101.7. 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com. One hour down, two to go. I'm by myself, but I did get Adam to send in his game picks from Cancun. So we'll get to our game picks next at the top of the 4 o'clock hour. This is RCST. Four o'clock hour. This is RCST. I'm Derek Johnson. I'll be out live with Scott Jason, three thirty to four thirty this Saturday at Mama's Tamale Shop. You can try some of the amazing tacos, whether like carnitas, carne asada, chicken. I don't know whatever type of taco you like. Uh, empanadas, tamales. I love the green chili tamale, the steak and potato empanada. They have apple pie empanadas, which oh my gosh, they are so incredibly good. Um, because if you didn't have enough sweets on Thanksgiving tomorrow, then Come on out and get some more on Saturday. But it is so good. Come on out. We're going to have a live show. We'll have some KU football tickets if you get there early enough. And we also will have some RCST t-shirts and and some other stuff to give away. So come on out to Mama's Tamale Shop this Saturday. Your spot to be before every home KU football game. Kiss Crew will be there with the prize wheel, giving away free goodies. 3.30 to 5.30. Our show will be 3.30 to 4.30, which you can also hear here on KLWN. So I am by myself, but I do have Adam's picks at least. I don't have BMAC or, or Cole's, but uh, game picks for this week since it's a Wednesday. Lines could obviously very much move by the time some of these games happen. Adam is 47-32 and 32 on the year in total in game picks. He's had a really good season. Um, he's 25-15 and 15 in college football, 4-1 and one last week. I am 61-53 and 53 overall, 29-31 and 31 college football after a bad 1-4 and four week. A week ago. First up, number two, Ohio State. The Buckeyes are giving up eight points. They're at number five, Michigan. We both like Ohio State here. Obviously, I won't be able to speak to the reasoning for Adam's picks, but for my own, Ohio State has just dominated this series. They've dominated with Jim Harbaugh. They've dominated dating back even before Jim Harbaugh over the last 20 years or so. And it has been especially true under Jim Harbaugh. And this just feels like the classic case, right? This is the ultimate. You know, Jim Harbaugh wins all these games. 
He's going to win 10 games this year. He's 10-1. and one. Even if they lose this, they're 10-2. and two, Still another really good season. They'll be a top-10 team at the end of the year, but you just can't beat your rival. And the issue in all of these games has consistently been that Michigan has everything you could want from a physicality standpoint, from you know a defensive line, from a linebacking standpoint, uh, running the football standpoint, but it's just been the passing game, both on offense and on defense. Michigan hasn't been able to be consistent enough passing the football and explosive enough offensively, and Ohio State at the other end has been so explosive offensively and in the passing game against a Michigan defense that hasn't really had as good of athletes at the back end as maybe some of these other positions. And now you look at this Ohio State team, C.J. Stroud's throwing it all over the field, Travion Henderson at running back, probably a future first-round pick, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, two first-round picks at receiver, Jackson Smith and Jigba, probably a future first-round pick when he's draft eligible. They have so much speed and electricity all around the quarterback. The fact that that's been the bugaboo in this series and it's to even another level for Ohio State this year makes me think this is going to be Buckeyes. I don't think it's going to be as bad as, as last week with Michigan State, but I'm kind of expecting a two or three touchdown win for Ohio State. Michigan, maybe this is their chance, right? Like maybe this is the one time they pull the upset and then we'll look at them as a playoff team. But until it happens, it's hard to bet against a streak here. So taking the Buckeyes. Number three, Alabama is at Auburn. The Crimson Tide are giving up 19 and a half points, which is a lot. If Bo Nix were healthy, the quarterback for Auburn, who, to be clear, I'm not like a huge Bo Nix guy, but he's basically like a, you know, solid, average, above average college football quarterback who just makes some weird mistakes sometimes, but always plays a lot better at home. He got injured about a week or two ago, and he's out for the season. If they had him, I think this line would probably be closer to 10 points. Fortunately, they don't, but I'm still going to go with Auburn. Um, Auburn, I think, has won three of the last four games in it's either Jordan in Jordan Hare, I want to say. Um, they've played well at home in this series. I'm going to take Auburn with the points. I think it's too many. Alabama has shown some cracks defensively, some cracks in the offensive line that makes me think Auburn can hang around in this game. Bryce Young is so good. He's having to do so much for this offense, but he's doing most of it. So that is scary, the fact that he, on his own, could put up 42 points and Auburn could be held to, you know, 17 or 21 and you lose this game. But I think at the very least, this would be a game that I'd be all about, like Auburn staying in it in the first half and then maybe Alabama pulling away at the end. But for sure, I'll take the 19 and a half with Auburn. Uh, that is same for Adam as well. Penn State is giving up a point. They're playing at Michigan State, who's ranked 12th in the country. This feels like a Vegas knows something game to me. Penn State unranked on the road against the top 15 team. They're the favorites. Well, maybe there's some rejuvenation around the program. James Franklin just signed a 10-year extension. Penn State's 7-4, and four, but this has got to be, and, and it's kind of a silly conversation when this happens, like, oh, there is no 7-5 and five team better than so-and-so. And it's like, you know, okay, sure, who cares? Um, but that is kind of Penn State this year. Like, I don't know if there's a better four-loss team in the country than the Nittany Lions. And Michigan State's passing defense is very bad. They are the worst in the country. That is not hyperbole. Statistically, they are the worst in the country. So, I think Penn State exploits that. I really like Penn State's physicality defense. I think they score their signature win they've finally been kind of looking for this season. Michigan State has kind of felt like a house of cards at certain times to me. It feels like it's finally starting to crumble. So I'm going to take the Nittany Lions to win this one on the road. Adam, though, likes Penn State playing at home on senior day to get to 10 wins. 
Number 14, Wisconsin is playing at Minnesota. The Badgers are giving up seven. Wisconsin has is, is kind of owned this series against Minnesota, and they have a lot to play for. They have to win this game to have a chance to make the Big Ten title. Or I actually think I think if they lose and Iowa loses, then they can still make it. I don't know how the tiebreaker would work if anybody else can get in the mix. Wisconsin beat Iowa head-to-head. But nonetheless, um, if they win this game, they're in the Big Ten title game. It just leaves it up for no chance. Minnesota has been a weird team. You lose to, like, Bowling Green and, you know, you lose to Illinois. But you have some good wins in there. They're a fine team. Nobody has run the football more this season than the Golden Gophers. They've ran it over 500 times. Wisconsin isn't far behind them in terms of how many times they've run the football. This 17-year-old running back for Wisconsin, it's he's becoming the new, uh, like, Killian Mbappe or, like, Jason Tatum, where it's, like, every time you hear the player's name, you have to mention, oh, he's 18 years old, he's 19 years old, and, and that's the case for this kid. But he is an absolute man at this size, and... He's been so good since he's been inserted as the starting running back for Wisconsin. They have really all season long had one of the best defenses in the country. They've had the best run defense. ESPN SP Plus has loved them as like a top five to ten team really all season long. It's just the results are finally starting to come now that the offense has stopped turning the ball over, now that they're running the ball so well. Wisconsin's ranked 14th in the country, and that's fair because it's based on the overall body of work. But if you were just having like a NCAA tournament today, they would be a top eight team in terms of like betting favorites. So uh, they're really getting it rolling. I really like the minus seven here. Minnesota can't pass the football. The fact that it will be a low scoring running game, I would take the under, blind bet it. I love doing a blind bet every week. I guess that would be my blind bet, take the under in this game. But I would definitely go with Wisconsin giving up the seven. I don't know how many Minnesota is going to even score. I don't think they're going to get to double digits. If they do, not by much. Uh, last one. By the way, Adam likes Wisconsin there, too. Number 10, Oklahoma at number 7, Oklahoma State in Bedlam. The Cowboys are giving up four points. I've talked about all week how historically great this Oklahoma State defense is and has been this season, and that is all true. But while that is all true, I am also concerned, to say the least, about the Oklahoma State offense. Now, it's an offense that... Um, can show signs. Their running back, Warren, I think is a really good running back. And, you know, Spencer Sanders isn't, he's not a bad quarterback. He's just kind of like, I kind of view him as an average quarterback. He's going to have some highs. He's going to have some lows. If Spencer Sanders goes out there and has like a really good game, then maybe all of a sudden things change. And that is part of this too. This isn't as good of an Oklahoma offense. So there actually is a real chance that as good as this Oklahoma State defense has been, that they hold down Oklahoma to, you know, 13, 14 points. That's not out of the question, right? Baylor did that. Um, West Virginia did that earlier this year. But, like, here is, and this was tweeted out from Max Olson. This was a week ago. So this didn't even take into account the Texas Tech game, where Oklahoma State shut out Texas Tech. Oklahoma State is allowing 15 points per game, 4.6 yards per play. Again, this was even before they improved on that against Texas Tech. Nobody has put that up in the Big 12 since 2009, Nebraska. They've held every team under 25 points. They've held every team under 400 yards. The only other defense that can say that is Georgia. They've been elite in basically every other category. Oklahoma State defense is so good, but you're giving me four points. I think at the very least it's a close game. Oklahoma's dominated the series. Mike Gundy is 2-14, 2-14 against Oklahoma. For that reason alone, Give me the Sooners. I kind of think they win outright in a low-scoring game. Their defense is starting to click. 
and, and find something, and, and maybe if they can just muster up anything on offense, that should be enough. Um, I'm going to go with Oklahoma. My lock of the week, I'm 10-3. and three. I double-barreled it last week. We hit both. 10-3 and three on the air. Give me North Carolina plus six at NC State. In his time at North Carolina, Mac Brown has won seven straight games against NC State. He, I, I don't know if they win the game, but they're getting six points. NC State has, against some of the better teams they've played, some of the better offenses, as good as the defense has been this year. They've given up some big totals, and North Carolina has a good offense. I think they can at least keep it close, maybe win the game. Give me North Carolina plus six in a rivalry game there. On to the NFL. Adam is 22-17, and 2-3 and three last week. I'm 32-22 and 22 in the NFL. I was 2-3 and three last week. Uh, Pittsburgh at Cincinnati, divisional showdown in the AFC North. The Bengals are giving up four and a half points. Adam likes Cincinnati. By the way, he liked Oklahoma on the last one there too. I like Pittsburgh on this one. Four and a half feels like too many. I just think this is going to be a AFC North, like, you know, low scoring physical game. Pittsburgh keeps it close, maybe wins. Big Ben has owned Cleveland and Cincinnati in his career. I still am not sold on, on Cincinnati. They had the highs. They got up to the one seed in the AFC. Then they lost two straight. Then they blew up the Raiders last week. I think four and a half is just too many. Um, I think Pittsburgh's defense at least keeps it close. So give me the Steelers there. Steelers. Tampa Bay is minus three. They're playing at Indianapolis and the Colts. Indianapolis, the talk of the town right now. They are as hot as anybody in the NFL. Coming off that big blowout win against the Buffalo Bills. I, I think we get back to a maybe bad Carson Wentz game here. Tampa Bay only giving up three. If if Indy didn't just blow out Buffalo, like if they just went close, is Tampa maybe a four, five, six point favorite in this game? I don't know. Indianapolis got a really good defense, but I just still don't trust Carson Wentz and against the Bucks defense, which maybe they found some something playing back to normal like they did against the Giants on, on Monday Night Football this past week. I like the Buccaneers on the road. Tennessee at New England. The Titans are the one seed in the AFC, but they are six and a half point underdogs at New England. First of all, that makes me think New England should be the pick, and that is who Adam has here. But that just seems like too many. That feels like an overcorrection to the Houston loss for Tennessee. Tennessee also lost to the Jets. They bounced back from that pretty well. That was with Derrick Henry in the lineup, so that matters that he's not there. I think this is an overcorrection in the market to a, the Patriots are really hot. B, the Tennessee Titans just lost to the Houston Texans. I think this should be closer to a field goal spread. Six and a half feels like way too many. I'm taking Tennessee. L.A. Rams is at Green Bay. This is a pick em, probably the game of the week. Um, I'm going to go with the Rams. Coming off a of bye week, they get the extra week to prepare here. Adam likes Green Bay. I had a really hard time with this pick because on one hand, you do have, you know what, actually, I'm going to switch it over right now. I'm going to switch to Green Bay. Something just came into my mind. Matt Stafford has not had a lot of success playing in Green Bay. And Green Bay coming off a loss, hard to beat Aaron Rodgers twice in a row. Give me the Packers, even though the Rams coming off the bye week. That does scare me a little bit, but I'll go with Green Bay and pick them. Adam has the same. Last one, Cleveland at Baltimore, another AFC North showdown. Ravens are giving up three and a half points. I kind of feel bad for Baker Mayfield because this is very much a because he's due his uh, team option if they want to accept it next year after his rookie contract. And this is very much a kind of judgment year for Baker Mayfield. I don't think he's a top 10 quarterback, but I think when he's right, when he's healthy, he can be kind of in that, I don't know, maybe like 11 to 15 kind of range. And 
the way he's playing right now, he looks like a bottom 10 quarterback in the NFL. And everybody's just trashing on him, but the dude is so injured. Like, I, I don't like when you get the Russell Wilson thing where it's like, you know, it's a medical marvel, it's a medical miracle that he came back from this finger injury. I don't think that's happening with Baker Mayfield. I think it needs to be happening with Baker Mayfield, though. He's playing with what? Like a torn labrum, an injured knee, an injured foot. Like, he is just mangled and destroyed right now. The fact that he's even playing is pretty incredible. But that said, because he's playing through all that, because the Browns are kind of a shell of themselves with him not playing like he was a season ago, Ravens... I don't know if Lamar Jackson is coming back and that plays into this line, I'm sure. Otherwise, if they knew he was back, you know, this would be more. I'm just going to kind of assume that he is. And I think they can win this game by by more than that, maybe by a touchdown plus. So I'll go with the Ravens to finish thing off. Adams, Adam uh, also likes Baltimore as well in this one. All right, this is Rock Truck Sports Talk. That is your game picks on RCST. FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com. Coming up next, let's talk. A little college football playoff reactions to the rankings last night. Coming up later in the hour, we'll also talk some uh, KU football. This is RCST. Welcome back in. Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Derek Johnson here on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Once again, a reminder on our upcoming slate of everything going on because it is going to be a busy week here, even though this is our last show of the week for Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Tomorrow... We will have KU basketball as they take on North Texas. And uh, we'll have pregame for you that starts. Uh, the game is, is technically supposed to start at 1 o'clock Central Time. But realistically, it'll probably start closer to 1.30 because the game before it starts at 11 o'clock Central Time. Um, but you'll be able to hear pregame starting out at 11.30 here on KLWN with... Uh, Coverage also on our sister station, 105.9 KISS, and at KLWN.com. So if Kansas beats North Texas, then they would play at, <laughs> this is so confusing, they play at noon central time, but it probably gets pushed till 1230 when that tips off. If they win that and they play in the championship, it could be scheduled for noon central time or 3 o'clock central time. So I don't know. If they lose, it, it gets messed up, but pretty much just know this. Whenever KU is playing this week in the ESPN Events Invitational, you'll be able to hear it right here on KLWN and our sister station, 105.9 KISS, as well as at KLWN.com. As far as the KU football game, you'll hear that Saturday. Uh, we'll have our live pregame show out of Tam Mama's Tamale Shop. I'll be out there with Scott Chasen. We have KU football tickets to give away. So if you want some tickets to the KU West Virginia game, you can come on out. We'll have some free tickets for you. And you'll have to get there at an early enough time. You got to buy something. You got to get, it could just be one taco. You could get like one $2 taco and then you get free tickets. That's how it works. So uh, come on out to Mama's Tamale Shop. Uh, we'll be there from 3.30 to 4.30, giving away those and some other free goodies as well. I think we'll have some RCS t-shirts out there uh, and some other stuff. So you can come on out, get some free stuff, get some good food at Mama's Tamale Shop. Kickoff scheduled for six o'clock between KU West Virginia. We'll have to bow out of that one for the KU women's basketball game at some point um, during the game, but you'll be able to hear the entire pregame, basically the first quarter, first half of the game here on KLWN, and you can hear the entirety of the KU football game over on our sister station, 105.9 KISS. Okay, so that's all out of the way. College football playoff rankings came out last night. 
there are still, what, two more rankings? There's the one next week and then the final one after that. So this is the, I guess, penultimate one that comes out on a Tuesday night. Um, obviously, no real surprises at the top. You know, Georgia number one. I guess you could say Ohio State jumping Alabama. Like, I, I was thinking they were going to keep Alabama number two, but it's not a surprise to me in any way that Ohio State would jump them. The only reason that I just thought Alabama was going to stay in front of Ohio State was that, you know, if you look at the resumes, they're, they're very similar. Um, Alabama's best win is Ole Miss. Ohio State's best win is Michigan State. And Ole Miss is ranked three spots higher than Michigan State. Both teams kind of blew the other team out. It was a little bit closer, I guess, than the Ole Miss one. But pretty much you would say those wins are about the same, if not slightly better for Alabama because a a higher ranking. Uh, then the second best win for Alabama at Mississippi State, a team who was ranked 25th last week and fell out of the rankings this week because somebody jumped them. You would just assume they're ranked 26th this week because they won last week. That would be, if they're ranked 26th, better than Ohio State's second best win, which would be either Purdue or Penn State. And then the third best win, uh, I guess, for Alabama might be at home against Arkansas last week, who is still ranked. I think they're 25th now in the rankings and Ohio state's third best win isn't ranked. So it's, it's like splitting hairs, but you could argue Alabama's resume is ever so slightly better. You could argue that Alabama's loss is better than Ohio state's, even though A&M's ranked a few spots below Oregon, it was on the road and it was a little bit closer of a game. I know the Ohio state game ended at seven, but they were, it wasn't like a domination or anything, but Oregon was, you know, clearly better that specific day. Um, so I, I just thought Alabama was going to be in front of them. Personally, I think Ohio State is a better team. I think the resumes are pretty even, so I'm totally fine with them doing that. Um, Cincinnati at four, Michigan at five, Notre Dame at six. I mentioned yesterday in, in the lead up to the college football playoff rankings, like if Oklahoma State was already ahead of Notre Dame, then it basically creates no storylines that Notre Dame would would really have a shot. I guess they still would, but uh, this maybe still leaves it out in the open that if Oklahoma State were to win the next two, there's a slight possibility that Notre Dame stays in front of them, but realistically, I don't think that's actually going to happen. Um, what's interesting to me is if Baylor, Baylor's sitting there at eight and nine and two, and not a surprise that they're there, but if Baylor wins this week, gets to 10 and two, and then they beat whoever it is in the Big 12 championship game. Um, I guess at that point, it'd be against Oklahoma State. And they beat Oklahoma State. Let's say Oklahoma State beats Oklahoma. So that maximizes Oklahoma State's ranking. They're fifth or sixth next week. And Baylor beats them with two losses. They're 11-2. and two. Notre Dame's 11-1, and one, not a conference champion. I wonder if they would jump them. I don't quite think they'd have enough to jump over an undefeated Cincinnati with two losses. But I think it becomes an interesting discussion. And then you're only maybe one other weird loss away if you can jump Notre Dame with two losses if you're Baylor from making it in and being the first two-loss team in the playoff. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think they're even going to win the Big 12 championship game, but that's kind of something I'm looking for. And then you have Oklahoma at 10. Um, you know, some people will say, well, that's just way too far to climb. There's too many teams in front of them for them to even have a chance at the playoff. Well, let me simplify it this way. If they beat Oklahoma State this week, that moves them to nine. Right, they move ahead of one team automatically. Then they beat, you know, Oklahoma State again in the Big Twelve Championship game. They're moving ahead of Baylor at that point because they won the Big Twelve Championship, and the head-to-head -head wouldn't be held against them because there would be a triangle between Oklahoma State, Baylor, Oklahoma, and they would just pick the best team, Oklahoma. So now they're up to eight. They would jump Mississippi because at that point they'd be a conference champ with one loss. Ole Miss would have the two losses. So now you're up to seven. 
At that point, they'd be 12-1 and conference champ. Notre Dame 11-1, and not a conference champ. And Notre Dame, really outside of Wisconsin, doesn't have like a, a super signature win. They have a bunch of solid wins, but not as many as Oklahoma would just get in these next two weeks with Oklahoma State and then Oklahoma State again. And that jumped them over them. Okay, now you're in the top six. Loser of Michigan, Ohio State. Now you're in the top five. Georgia beats Alabama. Boom, you're in the top four. And that doesn't even account for they might, hypothetically in that scenario, even jump an undefeated Cincinnati. So Oklahoma is absolutely still in this race. After that, not really in it. I thought it was interesting that the BYU was, I, I know anything outside of the world of, well, who's going to make the playoff? Like, does it really matter? Probably not. It does for New Year's Six Bowls, though. Um, and that still is a big deal, at least in my eyes. Maybe I just want it to be a big deal and it's it's not anymore, but I just think about, you know, Growing up, making a BCS bowl game was such a big deal. Making one of those big bowl games and playing in it, even if it wasn't for a national title, if it was just to get a, a top 10 ranking at the end of the year, if it was just to win a cool bowl game or have a cool statement at the end of the year or improve on your you know, preseason ranking headed into next year and improve the momentum, like all that stuff kind of mattered. Um, BYU coming in at 13 behind Oregon, specifically in Michigan State, is very interesting to me. When you look at the resumes here, I would argue that BYU has a better resume than Oregon. It starts here. The fact that BYU defeated Utah. Now, as we know, that is something that Oregon was unable to do, but it's not just that Oregon was unable to do it. Oregon got smashed by Utah. BYU beat them by nine points. Now, I, I think the intricacy here is that BYU, or I'm sorry, Utah had a different quarterback then than they do now. And that does matter. But, like, as we look at Oregon, their best win is at Ohio State. That's better than BYU's best win against Utah, certainly. But after that, Oregon's second-best win is Fresno State. BYU's second-best win is Arizona State, which is probably better than Fresno State. Um, BYU's third-best win is against Virginia. For Oregon, their third-best win is at UCLA. That's about splitting hairs. And you go down the line, and it becomes further like this. And then you get to a point of comparing losses. And you have for um, BYU losing at home to Boise State. That is a better loss than losing at Stanford, which Oregon did. Then you have the loss at Baylor for BYU by 14. That is a better loss than losing by 31 at Utah. Again, a team that BYU beat. I'm, I'm kind of surprised they're not higher. And I just mentioned this because I, I think BYU, in my opinion, they, they play USC this week. If they go 10-2, and two, they win this game. I think they've had a good enough season that BYU deserves to be in a New Year Six Bowl, and I hope that them being behind Oregon Michigan State doesn't keep them out from the ability to do that. Also, just kind of the only other weird thing, and again, this goes back in line of, well, this doesn't actually affect the playoff, and maybe it doesn't matter all that much. How about this? San Diego State was ranked 19th last week. They win their game, and Utah, as we mentioned, beats Oregon. Well, why is that important? Well, Utah is San Diego State's best win of the season. San Diego State beat Utah earlier this year in overtime. San Diego State drops two spots. And I, I'm not even disagreeing with the fact that Utah jumps ahead of San Diego State. You know, it, it was a weird game in overtime. San Diego State was the home team, right? I, I understand the argument that Utah is a better team. I'm fine with Utah being ahead of San Diego State. Honestly, what I thought might happen was that Utah was going to jump even ahead of Oregon and that San Diego State would be somewhere in that like 15 to 18 mix because their best win just got a lot better. But they dropped two spots somehow. And again, this goes back in line with the 
New Year's Six Bowl argument. If they could get up to the top 14, if they win this week and then win the Mountain West Championship game, which should actually be against a, a pretty quality opponent, maybe it gives them a chance for making a New Year's Six Bowl. And for San Diego State, a school like that, that would be so cool. And furthermore, I would argue that like if Cincinnati were to lose to you know, Eastern Carolina this week, or if they were to get upset by Houston in the AAC title game, if San Diego State wins out, I would almost argue that San Diego State's 12-1 and would be better than, resume-wise, Cincinnati's 12-1 and should Utah, for instance, win the Pac-12 because they would have that shiny win, which would be comparative to the Notre Dame win, but the difference for San Diego State is I think they'd have a better depth of wins around that, and I almost think that they could be deserving of that group of five New Year's Six spot, again, if Cincinnati were to be upset here in the final two weeks. But this really hurts them and their chances of being able to do that because they fall two spots despite their best win of the season, clearly showing that they are actually a pretty darn good team in Utah. So I don't know, just kind of weird how that all worked out with the college football playoff. But overall, not not too many qualms with this week. And um, certainly there's going to be a lot that is kind of sifted out on its own with just games, teams playing each other this week with two top 10 matchups with Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, with Michigan and Ohio State. Where it becomes interesting is if Michigan beats Ohio State, upsets them on a close game, Michigan certainly at that point I think will jump Cincinnati. Would a two-loss Ohio State stay in front of Cincinnati? That is my ultimate question for what I'm looking for this weekend with the college football playoff rankings. All right, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 at 1320 KLWN, depending on it. Thanks for joining us today on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Again, this is our final show of the week. Hope you have a good Thanksgiving coming up tomorrow. Uh, there's three scenarios here I think that could really create a lot of, I don't know, interesting talk, fodder for this weekend for Monday's show with KU football and what they do against West Virginia on Saturday. The first of those three is if KU wins the game. The second would be if KU is competitive but falls short. And the third, I think, would be if KU were to get blown out or just, you know, thoroughly beaten, right? Like, I guess I would consider, like, the Kansas State game. You know, I wouldn't really consider that a blowout. It was 35-10. That's not, you know, a 40-point loss, but they were thoroughly beaten by Kansas State in that game, right? Uh, It wasn't really ever in that game that you felt like they were hanging around, that they were in it. So that would be what I consider that. Um, The first part of this, if KU wins the game. If KU wins this game, you would be talking about a 3-9 and nine season, which would tie the most wins the program has had since Mark Mangino. But more importantly, you would do that in the first year of a head coach. Now, yes, you did see that with Les Miles, but then there was a quick step back the next season. And the good news here is that, like, the 3-9 the and nine first season with Les Miles, you had a lot of seniors that left the team the year after. That's not the case this year. You're going to have a ton of players coming back into next season to build off the 3-9 and nine as opposed to 3-9 and nine, then reset. So that would be a, a big positive, obviously, for you just in general. It would also give you a 500-month. In the month of November, this isn't a 500-month of September when you're taking on an FCS opponent and then a team from the MAC. This would be a 500-month in the Big 12. This would also be, what, your first two-win Big 12 season since, I think, 2008. 
They haven't won more than one Big 12 game since the 08 season when they went 8-5, and five, won the Insight Bowl, and I think they went 4-4 four and four in conference that season. That's how long it's been since they've won two games, so you would knock that off the list. Um, and then I, I think most importantly, if KU wins this game, it just continues the momentum that you feel like you have right now into the offseason. It continues this momentum into recruiting into the December signing period. It continues it for the players who start to see some success, and that gives you a little extra boost when you're going through those winter and spring workouts with the strength and conditioning coach and Matt Gildersleeve. Gives you more reassurement and confidence that this scheme, this coaching staff, this is what it's going to take to get it done, that you're doing the right things. That would be so huge for this program if you're able to get out a win and keep the momentum moving forward. And I think furthermore, if you're looking for more of like a micro level, you know, if KU gets this win, that probably indicates that obviously certain things went right. One of them probably being that Jalen Daniels played well again. And that wouldn't be a change from what we've seen the last two weeks, but certainly it would stack on even more excitement for what this kid can be. I've mentioned this stat throughout the week. 88.5 total QBR for Jalen Daniels this year. It's in limited sample. Certainly could change a lot with one performance because it is only through, you know, two full games as a starter, uh, kind of not mop-up duty, but, you know, not full duty against Kansas State because you thrust it in due to injury. So not really a complete sample size, obviously. But that total QBR, if it qualified for the Big 12 leaderboard, would rank first among all the Big 12 quarterbacks. The leader is Jerry Bohannon, the Baylor quarterback. He's at like a 75. That's how good Jalen Daniels has been. So if you get another good performance, it doesn't necessarily have to be that good, but just another good performance in general, it's not only the confidence that's building around the program, it's the confidence building around your quarterback and the trust that you have headed into next year in that quarterback position for the first time in a long time. Even the Carter Stanley year a couple seasons ago, with which was kind of, I guess, the measuring stick we've had over these past couple seasons for can you be that good of a quarterback? Because that was maybe the best quarterback season since Todd Reese. Even then, it was a one and done, basically, where it was his senior year and then he graduates. So you didn't get to the next offseason feel like, okay, quarterback situation, it's figured out for this year. That would be the case with Jalen Daniels. So if you go out and win, it's probably because he has a good performance and you feel even more confident about that position. And that all goes back in line. It's kind of, you know, circular with the idea that if you feel better about the quarterback, you're going to feel better about the program. But you're feeling better about the program, you know, it all kind of comes round and round. That's what happens if KU wins the game. Now, if KU is competitive in the game but falls short, and I think that is a, a wide-ranging spectrum, that's one of those things where it's not really an exact science. We've talked about this. Like, you don't have to necessarily cover the spread for us to deem it competitive. The spread's 15 and a half points. KU could lose by 17. It could be a competitive game, right? It could be 24 to 14 at the end of the third quarter. KU's got the ball at the fourth quarter, but West Virginia ends up winning, you know, 34 to 14 or something. It's still kind of a competitive game. Like, that can happen, and, you know, it wouldn't be like the 
the trampoline boost effect of you winning the game where it's going to really knock you into the offseason. But if you're at least competitive again in this game, it at the very least kind of sustains some of the momentum that you built over these past couple weeks. It keeps, I think, fans more engaged and they feel like the program's heading to the right spot. That's the other thing. If you win this game, I mean, the season ticket sales, I think, are going to probably be pretty high coming into next year. You know, if you're competitive, there still is going to be that excitement. It'll just be tapered off a little bit, and it'll be more so, okay, we like the way this season ended. Let's see what it's all about next year. But it is vital for one of those two things to happen. If you don't win the game, at least be competitive so that it at least does sustain some of that momentum. You know, if momentum right now on a scale of 1 to 10 for KU is at a 6 or a 7, if you're competitive, maybe it drops from a 7 to a 6. If you win the game, maybe it goes up to an 8 or a 9. But the third option here is getting blown out or just thoroughly beaten. That drops the momentum probably, you know, it's still, I I think you still would feel like uh, the program's trending in the right direction and you would feel like it was still a successful last month of the season overall because you did beat Texas, you were close with TCU, you had back-to-back performances that were good, but it would feel like a bit of a step back from the TCU game, certainly, that you weren't able to string together another competitive outing the very next week against a team who is maybe a little more vulnerable than some other teams in the Big 12. So if you get blown out or thoroughly beaten, it doesn't change the fact that I think this season all things considered with the coaching staff taking over late and the fact that I think the most important part of this season was getting the right head coach, which you did, and then kind of beating Texas was probably the cherry on top. So this season was already a success. But if you got blown out, instead of it becoming something everybody's excited about headed into the offseason and you know a big tool to use at recruiting, it is such a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately type of thing where the Texas win, you'll still get to point back to it, but it won't be as much of a, like it won't feel as salient toward how this season ended for KU. It'll leave you with a sour taste in your mouth, even though in hindsight, in five years, if KU is making a bowl game in year three or year four, I don't know, maybe we will, maybe we won't look back to this first season and say, well, the difference was they won that last game versus if they don't win this last game of this season. I don't know. It's something where if they do have success as a program in a year or two and they do win this game, we're going to look back to this last month of the season and say that was the starting point for it all. But if you get blown out by West Virginia, we'll just kind of ignore it, whether the success comes in the future or not. So it is kind of going to be revisionist history in that way. But I would think it could definitely spark your offseason, could spark recruiting if you are competitive, if you are successful, if you can come out with a victory And I am just a little bit worried that if they do get blown out in this game, what does that do for the fan base? What does that do for, like I said, the season ticket sales headed into the offseason? Does it put kind of a damper on things? Does it put kind of a damper on how you feel about Jalen Daniels if you get blown out because he had a bad performance and you can't go out and score? And then all of a sudden we're back into the situation of, is it Jalen Daniels? Is it Jason Bean? You know, and then it's a QB competition all offseason. And although this would be a different QB competition, because I think this year, in difference than past years, instead of it being like, hey, there's a new guy that we don't know anything about, and there's a guy who's coming back who struggled, it would be like, okay, it's two guys who are coming back, two guys who still have you know a couple years under their belt, and on top of it, it's two guys who, 
even though neither one won the job, both at least showed highlight flashes, right? Right. You think of Jason Bean's game against Coastal Carolina or against Oklahoma. You think of Jalen Daniels' games against Texas and, and TCU to where at least it's not just a pit of misery. It'd be a, hey, we saw some good highlight flashes. Maybe somebody can win the job. But we've been through this so many times with, you know, talking verbatim about the quarterback position and, and the quarterback competition, who's going to be that guy. If you get blown out, that's probably going to be a conversation again because you probably didn't have the best offensive game. But again, goes back in line. If you're competitive, then all of a sudden, we're probably not even talking about that being a thing, and that would be mighty refreshing headed into the offseason. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Two hours down, one to go. Thank you for joining us today on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We'll have all the KU basketball, KU football action for you coming up this weekend on KLWN and our sister station 105.9 KISS, as well as at KLWN.com. KU taking on North Texas tomorrow. That one is scheduled to begin at 1.30 Central Time, so plan your Thanksgiving dinner, lunch, dinner, however you do it accordingly. Um, technically, I think it's scheduled for 1 o'clock, but... I think if you go to like ESPN, it'll tell you eh, it's probably going to be like 1.30 because the game before it will probably, you know, take two hours and then they go 20, 30 minutes between games. So it'll probably be closer to 1.30 by the time that one tips off. Jalen Wilson making his return in the game. I've talked about this this week. The idea that, you know, I think it's easy to get lost in the shuffle that Jalen Wilson, like he's a good player, he's a starter, but of how much he can bring to the team. When you look at the, the preseason All-Big 12 team, I don't believe Jalen Wilson got any votes. Now, certainly he wasn't on the team. Now, it was only a first team. It's only six players. But KU got three of the six players on that list. They got David McCormick, Remy Martin, and Ochag Bashi. So just by nature of that, it would tell you that, okay, that means Jalen Wilson is the fourth best player on Kansas. I say not so fast. I say Jalen Wilson might end up being the second best player on the team. It's hard to take away from what Ochai has done. And I think Matt Tate brought up an interesting point yesterday. You know, Ochag Baji probably isn't averaging 26 a game right now if Jalen Wilson's there taking up more shots and, and so forth on the team. So that'll be interesting to begin with. You know, how does this mesh together? Can Ochai still continually be this National Player of the Year candidate that we're seeing right now if Jalen Wilson is, you know, a really good player and taking up shots? I, I don't know the answer from that, but certainly even if the points per game go down for Ochai from 26 to 18, but it's more efficient or it's better for the team, then who really cares? Jalen averaged 12, 8, and 2 last year. He didn't shoot it ultra efficiently. He was 41% from the field, 33% from three, 63 from the foul line. Those are the numbers that I'm looking to go up. Um, I, I don't know how many shots you're going to get per game on this team, right? But he's the best defensive rebounder on the team. That's going to help. He is the best transition player on the team. That's going to help. He's going to speed things up with their offensive tempo. That is going to help. And I expect him to be more efficient from the field, from three-point range, from the free-throw line. And if all that happens, and we're talking about a guy who averaged 12-8-2 and eight and two last year, a guy who it sounds like he's gotten better over the offseason, that he's taken into account everything he learned from the NBA, similar to how Ochai did. If you're talking about a jump of improvement from that guy who averaged, again, he averaged 12-8 and eight at Kansas last year. And now he's coming back for his third season, his second season of actual play. Why would we not be ultra excited for what he can provide? I think he might end up being the second best player on the team. 
And I think he gives you a lot of different options of what you want to do. You could technically play him on the wing. I don't think it'll happen because they have so many minutes to go around between the one through three positions. But hypothetically, you could. He's going to be playing most of his minutes at the four and the five. And when he's playing at the four, it allows you to have more size out there to have good rebounding despite the fact that you are basically playing a wing at the four. He rebounds like he is a big man. And then you can play him at the five to spell certain minutes for David McCormick, to be a matchup nightmare for other teams, to match if other teams have big men who are switching. I don't know how much we're going to see of him playing the five. I think we will this first week, but I think maybe a little less this specific week. I'll I'll get into this in a minute because I want to talk about David McCormick and the teams that KU is going to be playing, at least in the first couple games, that maybe you don't see a ton of him at the five. But hypothetically, if KU matched up with Alabama in the championship game, Alabama is a guard-oriented team, and they have some really good guards. They run really fast. They're one of the fastest-paced teams in the country. Last year, they had Herb Jones, who was basically this, like, I don't know, he's like 6'7", six, 6'8", six, basically a 3'4", man, but he played the 5, and he was like an elite defensive center, despite the fact that he was only like six foot seven, six foot eight. This year's Alabama team doesn't have that guy, and they don't have, you know, a ton of size necessarily. Um, for Alabama... They are playing this Charles Bediaco guy, you know, 20 or so minutes a game. He's a seven-footer, and he gives them that size. I don't know how effective he is, but outside of that, like, you're looking at 6'6", six, 6'8", six, six playing down low. And when that happens, you can go with Jalen Wilson. It's going to help you defensively guard against a team who shoots a lot of threes, plays fast pace. But as far as the first two games, we'll see how much that happens. There will be certain times it does, certain times it doesn't. I'm just saying I don't think it's going to be the primary lineup whenever he's out there. But point being, Jalen Wilson... What he does this week, if he starts right away, who he starts for, how much he plays, how impactful he is, how good he is, those are all things that I'm really curious to see. And he kind of had the opposite season of David McCormick. He started so fast. He looked like a potential All-American, All-Big 12-level player. And then he kind of fell off as conference play went on and and maybe hit that wall. But it was his first play. Uh, It was his first time actually playing in college basketball against Big 12 opponents. And... I think it's it's almost like how we talked about with Dave this offseason. If you just get Dave from Big 12 play all season long, that's a success. For Jalen, if you just get Jalen from the non-con play all season long, that's a success. doesn't even have to be a jump of play, just more consistent with your best play. And I think uh, we'll see what happens with, with Jalen this week. Now, I mentioned David McCormick. I think there's been some talk about the idea that, you know, maybe it's another slow start for Dave. Uh, this is funny to me, though. Um... It's been three games, obviously, which is a very small sample size. The Michigan State game, he got in foul trouble, and he also played against Marcus Bingham. And Marcus Bingham for Michigan State, if you want to do yourself a favor, go look at what this guy is doing defensively because he is absolutely wreaking havoc blocking. I think he had like six blocks in the first eight minutes of their game today against Loyola Chicago. So, yes, Dave struggled a bit in that one, and I think Bill Self would say he was more disappointed with the lack of rebounds than anything because he only got two rebounds. But he had two blocks, including a big one, still ended up with 10 points, even though it wasn't efficient in doing so. The two games since then, yes, he started slow in the Stony Brook game. The first three or four minutes was a bit of a slog for him. But here are the last two games that Dave played since playing that elite blocking big man in Marcus Bingham. He is averaging 19 minutes a game, averaging nine points, eight rebounds, three blocks, and he's shooting over 60% from the field. For a team that doesn't need him to score as many of the points, He's not having to. 
He's still shooting over 60% from the field. He's grabbing the eight rebounds a game the last two. He's getting you three blocks a game the last two. He's playing 19 minutes a game. He's not taking up too many minutes per game. He's been efficient. He's been solid. I don't think this is a slow start for Dave at all. And I'm expecting him to have a big weekend. Now, as I mentioned, you look at some of the teams that KU is playing, at least in their side of the bracket, it gives them kind of an opportunity or, or Dave an opportunity in certain situations to maybe feast when other teams are playing small because, you know, the Dayton's and, and the North Texas and the Miami's, they might not have as much depth of bigs. But all three of these teams, whether it's Dayton or Miami in the second game and the North Texas in the first game, they have one big man who's about six foot ten who plays over 50% of the minutes. And to varying degrees, you know, one of them block shots well, one's about average, one doesn't do it very often. But all of them have a big man who he can bang with. And on one hand, you could say that's a good thing because, you know, he doesn't have to move away from the basket. On the other hand, he doesn't get to just dwarf over some smaller guy. But that presents you an opportunity because you actually are going up against real competition. It also presents you an opportunity in the fact of, you know, these big men just aren't going to be as good as you. And because they don't have depth, you will have other opportunities to dwarf over those smaller guys. But I think the you know, slow start, so to speak, is not just that with David McCormick. If he would have had his game against Tarleton State, that would have been the first game of the season, and then you had the Michigan State game second against the good shot blocker, and then you had the Tarleton State game or the Stony Brook game third where, you know, it was a slow start to the game, but not at all overall. I don't even think this would be a conversation. I do think there is uh, maybe a discussion to be had over you know, what is the limit to David McCormick playing? Like, there became a point with Yudoka Azubuki where, you know, you didn't expect a big man like that to be playing 30 minutes a game because you're going to get in foul trouble, you're going to get tired, all these things. But when push came to shove in the big games for Doak, he was playing 28, 30 minutes a game. I don't think that's ever going to be the case for David McCormick for a couple reasons. One, he's not what Yudoka Azubuki was when you look at what he provided defensively specifically, even though Dave's shot blocking has been really improved this year, it's also just the idea that you have more options of things you want to do. Jalen Wilson might give you 10 minutes as a small ball five, maybe even 15. You know, you might give 10, 15 minutes to one of or the combination of Mitch and Zach Clements to where I think night in, night out, you're going to see Dave somewhere between a, you know, 18 to 25 minute game depending on the matchup, depending on how well he's doing, you know, how, how he starts, those sorts of things. So I'm not really as concerned if you just want to look at the raw numbers, knowing that if he only does at the end of the year average 9, 10 points per game, which would be down from a year ago. As long as he's efficient in doing so, as long as he's helping you run your offense, as long as he's being a shot blocker like he is, that's a successful season for David McCormick to me. I kind of thought coming into the year, you know, right before it started, I was wondering if he was going to be the guy for this team, if he was going to end up being the top candidate for all Big 12 or Big 12 Player of the Year or All-American because when you look at the rest of the roster, they don't have another big man that you can just throw the ball down low to consistently. Clements is more of a stretch big. Mitch Lightfoot, you can do it every so often, but, you know, he's he's not somebody you're ultimately trusting uh, running the offense through. Jalen Wilson, even if he's in at the five, you're not throwing him the ball in the post. And that has an impact in several different ways from a standpoint of moving the defense, running the offense, like how Bill Self likes to do it. 
to where he was the one guy who can do that for this offense, and that still is true for David McCormick. But with all these other options, with Ochai emerging, with Jalen coming back, I think we are going to see more of a condensed version of him. As long as he's blocking shots, as long as he's getting rebounds, which he has been doing, as long as he's shooting over 60% or over 50%, 55%, which he has done the last two games, that is going to be a successful David McCormick season. And I'm interested to see if, if maybe there's a breakout game or something for this season in there for David McCormick this week. All right, this is Rock Truck Sports Talk. We'll have that game for you tomorrow here on KLWN, KLWN.com, and our sister station, 105.9 KISS.